0: You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple.
0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the show. In a previous episode, you may have noticed that I took <laughs> I took great pride in dropping the c word, cult. Cult itself can be a dicey phrase, right? Most people who are participating in a religious organization do not care for their organization to be referred to as a cult. Well, one one man's religion is another man's cult. Sure. Man or
1: woman or whatever have you, um, it's a it's a very divisive term because it's thrown around as a term of abuse, mm-hmm. but there certainly are criteria <laughs> when you check the boxes that that tend to line up more with cult
0: than than religion. Right? Yeah. Way back in the day, uh, my pal Matt and I, our mutual pal Matt Frederick, uh, we made a great video about how to tell whether or not you are in a cult. Please do check it out on YouTube or wherever you watch videos. Stuff they want you to know how to start a cult. I can't remember. And, you know, we all like the idea, right, of starting a cult. Do we? Well, I just assume. You don't like that idea? Uh, You know, it's not my (laughs) go-to. I feel like it's a natural tendency. I feel like in another life I've probably started several cults. But if you think about it, if you take away the glamour, it's a very tedious life. It's a lot of work. Whether you're just a, a follower of a cult or you're the leader of a cult. you're you're basically on call all the time. You don't really get vacation. Uh, you probably don't make a lot of money. We always hear about these famous violent cults. But what about those cult leaders who are out there, you know, just grinding every day? They got like fifteen people with them.
1: And what about the cult leaders that time forgot, Ben?
0: What about <laughs> them? What of them? <laughs> I am glad you asked, Noel. Uh, and we, oh, we've also got to alert our super producer Casey Pegram. Casey, this is going to be a weird one.
1: I am absolutely in the cult of Casey. By the way,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. The C O C, big time. Are, are you? Are, do you subscribe to the newsletter? I subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, I get the Spotify playlists. Mm-hmm. I'm all about it. I do. I like to wait for his yearly donation period because if you put in fifty bucks, you get the tote bag. But if you put in seventy five bucks, you get the tote bag and the water bottle. Yeah. The CSC is like the NPR of cults. It really is. It really is. Uh, I appreciate those pledge drives, Casey. And speaking of cult leaders, today's story takes us to China in the early 1800s. There is a guy named Hong Xiuquan, and we're we're mispronouncing this name. Uh, Hong, well, I'm going to mispronounce it even worse <laughs> than you, Ben. So, <laughs> so you're doing a fine job. Oh no, not, uh, no, so, not really. Uh, so this this guy, Hong Tseokwan, can I just call him Hong X? Sure. Okay. Yeah, is uh, born on January 1st, 1814. He's a New Year's baby, and he is the third and youngest son of a poor Hakka family. His story gets propagandized pretty heavily. As it goes on, so now his origins are a little bit. The sources are a little bit contradictory. Some people say he was poor. Some people say his family was well to do. But you know, one man's palace is another man's dumpster, right? This kind of the idea of success is relative. But let's uh, let's learn a little bit more about Hong uh, Hong X, as you call him, Noel. What do we know about this guy?
1: Well, we know that he had the the dream. In his heart, the twinkle in his eye, he wanted to grow up and be a scholar. In order to do that, it's sort of like um, studying for the bar, right? Mm -hmm. To be a scholar in, in this period in Chinese history, you had to take this test. You had to memorize these Confucian texts and take these things called the imperial exams. It was the equivalent of going to college or, you know, getting your SATs or whatever, so all of that kind of combined into this life-or-death test. More like the bar, because it was like, it was such a big deal. You'd study for it so much that if you failed it, it was a really crushing blow, and nobody wants to take the bar twice. Thusly, no one wanted to take the imperial exams twice. Unfortunately, oh, by the way, less than 1% of the people who took the test pass, and Hong uh, was among those that did not.
0: Yes, yeah, the imperial exams are a big Big, big deal. And that attrition rate is nasty. It is not something to mess with. Hong, however, does not give up. He decides he will retake the exams. He travels to a city in the south, Guangzhou, and he decides he's going to take the exams again in 1836. This city is amazing at this time. It's a port. It's a center of culture for the Qing dynasty, But with all this culture and with all this population and all this trade, uh, there comes a dark side. You see a lot of the trade that goes through this port city comes from the West, and the West at this time has one big, big product that they are pushing into Chinese markets. That's right. The British were a huge part of this culture, and they were
1: bringing in lots of opium that they were growing in India, where they also held imperial rule, essentially. And they were, you know— they didn't have – they didn't hold sway over China per se, but there was a pretty serious foothold that they had in the Chinese empire, in the Qing dynasty. Correct, Ben?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the the problem here is that the country of China is producing all this really cool stuff that the British forces want. Tea and – Tea, fine china, they call items. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They literally call the porcelain fine china. That's right. <laughs> and uh, silk, of course. And – the British don't really have a lot of stuff that China wants. so There's a trade deficit. They do, however, have that opium growing in India, and they double down on this. They're flooding the markets with opium to the point that it is destabilizing Chinese society. But you see, not every import is a tangible thing. Ideas are just as valuable and, indeed, just as dangerous as opium, silk, fine china, or what have you. So Hong is walking through the streets of this city, thinking about his exam, when he hears a missionary from the far-flung shores of North America uh, proselytizing, which means, you know, attempting to convert people to his religion, to Christianity. And this guy doesn't speak... Chinese. He doesn't speak Cantonese nor Mandarin, but he has an interpreter with him. So picture, if you will, you're a kid, you're Hong X, you're walking through these crowded, bustling streets, and you see a guy probably standing on a, a, an Apple box or a crate, you know, just yelling out in English, save yourselves, learn the truth, so-and-so. And then there's an interpreter who has to listen, so there's a little bit of a lag Sure and I don't know whether the interpreter is just calmly remarking on the things this guy is yelling about, but I hope he's yelling too at a slight time delay. I too would like to believe that Ben so what happens? Hong hears him right?
1: He hears him uh, and he doesn't think too much of it at the time, but he at least you know he's gonna he's not gonna be rude he takes the pamphlet you gotta <laughs> you gotta take the pamphlet uh, so he takes the pamphlet, folds it up, saves it for later and it turns out that it will end up having a massive impact on Hong, but not until after this next phase of the story wherein he fails the exam again, and then proceeds to have something of what you might call a psychotic breakdown. Right, yeah. A complete and utter meltdown. Nervous
0: breakdown. He fails the exam twice, and then he takes it a third time a year later, and he fails the third time. That's right. And this, yeah, this pushes him to the edge. He goes home he says, I feel sick, and he lays down, and he has a fever dream, or a vision. A some series
1: say. of visions and fever dreams,
0: and he really seems sick. Like, he seems physically ill.
1: His uh, complexion is all pallid. He is sweating. He is feverish. His parents are... Very very concerned about him, um so he in in his let's let let's, let's up. let's walk through the let's, yeah
0: yeah walk through the the vision or the hallucinations, yeah, so
1: he um
0: this is in- amazing, it's just amazing this
1: just like like this should be a, a movie um so he ha- hallucinates that he takes a, a trip, a sojourn to some sort of paradise, um a heavenly land uh, in the east, and then his father reveals to him that there are demons that are destroying humanity. All right, yeah. I mean, I get it. You're on board? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So then, of course, he has to have a special magical sword. Mm -hmm. He gets a magical sword that's bestowed Mm -hmm. upon him by his father. uh, And then, with the help of his brother, they fight the demons and
0: what he refers to as the king of hell. Yes. Uh, After the battle... He doesn't wake up. After the battle, he stays in heaven, He gets a wife, and they have a child together. Eventually, he returns to Earth bearing his new title, Heavenly King, Lord of the Kingly Way, 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 His family is not 100% on board with this. Well, no, because from where <laughs> they stand... He's just been tossing and
1: turning around in bed for days. I mean, there's no not exactly a specific timeline, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine this. This was this happened over a period of time, um, and he just seems like he's losing it. And he, you know, he goes from being fully asleep to turning around in bed and screaming, you know, nonsense syllables to jerking upright and assuming a a fighting stance and then going back to bed. I mean, just, you know, really, really not well. And he finally wakes up and he explains uh, to his parents the dream. And he had written like this in the form of poetry that he kind of like dream journaled when he woke up. Mm -hmm. It's pretty impressive.
0: Oh, and he also came back with the name Hong Xiuquan because his original name was Hong Ho Xiu, but that father figure he meets in The Hallucination tells him that his given name violates taboos and has to be changed. So not only is he waking up, it's a very, very fantastic story, he's also waking up with a different name. Everybody in the village thinks This guy is bonkers. If this guy were a breakfast, he would be nuts and bananas. It's true. Is that a breakfast? Well, yeah, you could eat, like, nuts and bananas. People do that all the time. Really? Like, together? Like, mixed up with, what, with oats, maybe? Sure. Oats. Probably yogurt. Okay. People, yogurt people are crazy, man. They'll put anything in yogurt.
1: Okay. From now on, I think when we say something is is insane, we should refer to it as yogurt.
0: (laughs) Uh, you know what? Let's give it a spin. Let's, let's take it around it a, the block. Let's see if we can see. make that. Let's see if we can make that that catch on. And we might have enemies with big yogurt, but but yeah. So Hong has gone full yogurt,
1: and he mm-hmm. uh, is is looked upon askance by the people of the village. But, but he he's gets, able he's able to put it behind him. Yeah, he gets pretty, better pretty quickly. He bounces back. I know. He decides to take
0: the exam a fourth time because <laughs> it worked. What, out. And what happens? Uh, He fails. He fails again. He fails a fourth time. Again, it's a very, very difficult exam. There's a lot of corruption involved. Uh, Only 1% of the people who take it will will succeed.
1: The 1% of the 1% Mm -hmm. of
0: the 1%? Kind of. It seems like
1: a bit of a classist kind of thing. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, you have to – what isn't classist? Well, that's fair. But
1: But, (laughs) What I'm saying is it doesn't doesn't seem to be entirely merit-based. Maybe,
0: like, certain people have a leg up in passing the exams. Absolutely, absolutely. So he is – he's still in his 20s at this time, and he has failed this exam. But thankfully – Not once, not twice, not three, but four times. And he still has – A certain pamphlet. He has that
1: pamphlet. He finds it neatly folded in his pristinely pressed tunic right? Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm, I'm editorializing here, but he definitely finds it somewhere, and he starts to make some connections, doesn't he? Because the tract uh, actually portrayed China as this kind of post-apocalyptic wasteland, which wasn't terribly far off from the truth. I mean, there is certainly some hyperbole here, but this, these opium wars and the opium addictions that ravaged China really destabilized the country from 1839 to 1842, uh-huh. and finally it ended with the Treaty of Nanjing, which really gave britain the upper hand and allowed them to be much more of a colonizer you know of right. of china
0: right right absolutely this is ultimately the reason that so many christian missionaries were able to make it into the country and stay there this episode of ridiculous history is brought to you by uber teen introducing Uber teen accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events the other week. I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football Game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what
0: you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze
1: your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that,
0: Noel? I think you know. It's Harry's. Hmm. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant.
1: Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful.
0: I do really
1: enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like Redwood, wild lens, and
0: Stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Well, Only you now you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch.
1: So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch?
0: So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret
1: sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
0: That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
1: Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile for details.
0: As Hong is reading this pamphlet, he's noticing a stunning similarity between the story of Christianity and his personal vision, the one he had thought and he had, you know, gotten over. He encounters the words of Jesus Christ, and he becomes convinced, Hong becomes convinced that that father figure in his series of visions was the Christian God like the God of Abraham, and that the older brother, because remember you mentioned that older brother, Noel, the older brother was Jesus Christ himself, and the, quote, king of hell was the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And Hong is putting everything together like the very end of usual suspects when, spoiler alert, 3, two, 1, when the investigator starts looking at the bulletin board, and notices that uh, Kaiser Soze has just been making up stories based on what he reads around the room. Bro. I did spoiler countdown, and plus it's way past the statue. You think so? Yeah. All right, that's fair. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scold you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's fine. You're totally fine. Also, where do spoilers stop, man? Is it a spoiler to say that Abe Lincoln passes away? Or that the Titanic sinks? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're going to get some angry emails about that one because I didn't spoiler alert it. And it is a movie. It is, in fact, a movie. It's true. So Hong is Hong is having this usual suspect moment as he's reading through this pamphlet, and he's like, wait, the father in my dream is God, the older brother in my dream. That's Jesus, the king of hell, is this serpent from this story. Holy smokes, put two and two together. I am the son of God. Of God. It's like Darren Aronofsky trying to describe the plot of one of his movies. (laughs) Right, right. So he doesn't take this revelation as a personal thing. He doesn't hold it close to his heart and use it as a way to keep his divine chin up. Instead, he tells his relatives about his dream, and his message begins to spread. He gets followers. He must have been very persuasive. Well, he clearly was uh, tenacious. He kept taking, you know— he
1: didn't let a psych- little little bitty psychotic break stop him from trying to take those those exams. Um, so he clearly had drive, and yeah, he had to have been very charismatic. Um, and his uh, his message started spreading like wildfire, Cold style.
0: Right, right. Uh, he gathers followers. They go on the road to evangelize, right? Uh, they're selling ink and brushes to fund their travels, and Hong begins writing his own religious works. He writes exhortations to worship the one true God, and this helps him win more converts. He goes back home to work on more religious writing, but his disciples continue to travel and they form a group known as the god worshipping society. There's an interesting sociological aspect here because a lot of his original followers are Hakka people, the the ethnic group Hakka just like he is and they have a relatively lower position in Chinese society. So this is this is a message uh, that paints a picture of an alternate way to live, a world in which you do not have to be on the bottom just because of your ethnicity.
1: Which is interesting, because sort of in the same way that L. Ron Hubbard founded a religion based on constantly being rejected by science fiction, you know, uh, publishers and things like that. Uh, Spoiler alert. Out of, well, that's fair, (laughs) but out of kind of this bitterness and Uh, this, uh, it shaped his whole worldview, and uh, Hong... Was very similar. He rejected those the, the Confucianist family ideals and the idea of having to be in that one percent of the one percent of society and pass those tests. And he built an entirely new uh, philosophy that was it wasn't Christianity exactly. It was sort of a twist on Christianity,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know if you think about it, it's a proto version of communism. He stresses sharing property. He has religious ideas and laws based on the Ten Commandments of Christianity. Importantly, he promises free land to all of his followers. Really? And that's when thousands and thousands more people start joining up with Hong and the God worshiping society. And they really start to openly
1: reject the Qing norms. Of, yeah. of that time, they uh, they chop off their their braids. They have this hairstyle called a queue, where you've probably seen it in um, in, in films, uh, where their head is shaved except they have like one big long ponytail that's in the back. They cut those off. Um, he they start wearing these red turbans as a symbol of their undying allegiance to Hong, um, and he even starts preaching this notion that uh, the Manchu were the very demons that he fought in his battle with the king of hell.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is during the Qing dynasty, right? And the Qing dynasty was founded by the, the Manchu people, and they are still regarded as foreigners at this time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the Hakka with valid reason, don't care very much for the Manchu. Did we mention that the Hakka
1: were kind of already a bit of a disenfranchised community? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that's, that's key because he was able to capitalize on those feelings of rejection and
0: isolation and not being part of the same caste system that he was rejected from. And then when he has the revelation that the demons in his vision are the Manchu, you know, he begins, as you said— pushing people to violence and this marks the beginning of one of the bloodiest civil wars in Chinese history within two years Hong and the God Worshipping Society have captured the city of Nanjing. There is a rebellion taking place folks hundreds of thousands of people are overthrowing the social status quo
1: Yeah, uh, here's the thing too Um, Hong really starts doubling down with his um, speaking with God kind of uh, angle where he th- believes that he has been sent by God as the son of God because he is a son of God. He's not Jesus. He's his other son. He's the younger oh, brother. He's the younger <laughs> brother of Jesus. Uh, and he is, is here to change the very course and uh, nature of Chinese society. Uh, based on the word of God and what he wants. So, um, all of in, in his society, all of the his little kind of sub offshoot mm-hmm. society, all of the beliefs of uh, the Chinese, all of the Confucian texts all, are burned. All those beliefs are scattered and rejected. Um, got rid of every single um, idol or effigy or, mm-hmm. you know, any, anything that represented the old way, right? And uh, even he outlawed opium. Because that had been a problem. Good move. One, yeah, that was probably the one, one of his good moves. Um, and heavily segregated men and women.
0: Uh,
1: officially, officially, but not for him. No, not for him. He He's- had something of a harem in his uh, in his abode.
0: Very, very common with cult leaders. You know what I mean? From L. Ron Hubbard and the Sea Org uh, to David Koresh. Usually, cult leaders have a "do as I say, not as I do" sort of approach to their beliefs and laws. Uh, doesn't he also change the calendar? He does. He changes the calendar, dude. That's such a power move. It's a big power move. <laughs> I love. I love that. Yeah. It's like, all right, I'm in charge now. April is done. Now we're calling it. Um, uh, hey, Casey.
3: I knew you were going to call me Ben. I have nothing. I have nothing to offer
0: on this. Oh, uh, sorry. I do Okay, you'd rather be on the case than on the spot, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we'll say instead of instead of April, we're going to call it Lowell, right? Sure. The month of Lowell. <laughs> yeah. Or how about grape roll? Ooh. Yeah. Gray April Yeah. Or Aprist. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so uh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't mean to. Also, Casey on the case. Thank you. I don't mean to diminish the suffering that Hong is becoming responsible for. Uh, What we see happening now is that the Qing dynasty notices that society is quickly crumbling. Dude, in the city of Nanjing,
1: Mm -hmm. he has amassed an army, and in addition to all of his followers, but a, a real legitimate army that can expand this kingdom that he's creating all over southern China uh, and ends up with more than 30 million people living inside his little sub-kingdom called the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, which is what they referred to their their new territory as. And this is a real threat to the powers that be. I mean, this is huge,
0: and they will not let this stand. Right, absolutely. Uh, We should also mention, though he did segregate the sexes, For his followers, he took some steps to try to make women more socially equal to men. So it wasn't all terrible stuff. But yes, war was very much on the horizon. The Qing emperor says, I have to raise troops. This may become an existential conflict. And it does. It becomes one of the most deadly conflicts in history. So by 1860... Hong's people, the Taiping, were at the height of their power. They were smashing Qing armies. They were besieging Nanjing, and they were capturing other southern cities: Hangzhou, Suzhou. Uh, in 1861, the same year that the U.S. Civil War starts, the Taiping attack Shanghai. But Shanghai has been this international hub, right? And this is where the Western powers go and they send their boats and they trade their stuff. And that means that the British and French empires are not happy to see this fall to a cult movement. And the Europeans begin to bring in their own forces to protect the city. Got a question for you, Ben. That distinction between religion and cult or movement and cult, uh,
1: uh-huh. I think 30 million... It sort of kicks it out of cult territory, and it becomes more like <laughs> a new norm.
0: Yeah, but again, yeah, what, are, point. what are we talking population wise in this uh, in the country? Just just for a rough ballpark perspective, uh, calculations estimates put the population of China, the Qing Empire at this time, around just under three hundred million. Got it. So no no small potatoes thirty million,
1: right. but but still certainly not taking hold. In a widespread way,
0: I don't know, man. That's, that's thirty million dangerous. is a lot. Oh, it's definitely dangerous. Yeah. And they're all
1: hold up, or, or a bunch of them are holed up in this one area and are kicking ass.
0: Yeah, and the European troops arrive
1: to help out their I don't know buddies. The relationship is probably a little strained, but it's more to defend their port, right? Right.
0: Absolutely, uh, the opium must flow. You know. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their
0: And don't delay today. You can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today available in select locations. See app for details.
3: What up everyone? It's lunchbox from the Bobby bone show. And I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day.
0: The Europeans come with the latest word, the bleeding edge of military technology, and they use cannon fire to just tear through the Taiping rebels. The Qing launches a major counterattack, and this this occurs at the same time. This shatters the Taiping army, and they retreat. From the city, they are forced onto the defensive. And now the Qing dynasty is receiving support from the West. They begin pushing the borders of the heavenly kingdom back to Nanjing. And they're fighting. Think of it this way. They're fighting what's called a total war in one of the most densely populated areas of the planet. Around this time... The country of China alone is like 30% of the world's population. It's a crowded place. And a total war means that everything is up for grabs and everything that can be destroyed probably will.
1: Yeah, and there's no real rules of engagement or anything like that. I mean, civilians are at risk, utterly at risk, not not just being in harm's way, but resources, Plundering of villages from the opposition when they sack a town or whatever. They just take what they want. And food becomes scarce. People actually begin to starve to death in the streets. So I think we're talking um, millions of people that, that died
0: brutally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The violence combined with the famine led to millions of deaths. If this were a film, let's cut to Hong. Hong is becoming increasingly yogurt. He has withdrawn from running his kingdom, doing the day-to-day affairs, directing the armies, rallying the troops. Instead, he hangs out in his palace with his harem, with his concubines. His generals begin to fill the vacuum of power, and this leads to a lot of internal conflict and fracturing of the kingdom. Hong begins to, you know, suspect members of his inner circle of being traitors. And he has very valid reasons for this. By 1864, the Qing armies are at the gates of the city, and Hong's general, a guy named Li Cheng, demands that Hong GTFO. Right. Get get out of the city.
1: And now they are, they've been, you know, forced into retreat, mm-hmm. and they're holed up behind walls. They've run out of food as well. So what does Hong do? He he says, uh, "We're just going to drink tears from heaven, you know, eat mana from heaven. What mana? Like that's like magical energy juice, like from the Final Fantasy games, I think. Uh, but no, he says." And what he was referring to were, like, he basically said that, that God will nourish us with whatever we put into our bodies. Oh, this is so the craziest he, it's part. It's so crazy. It almost seems made up. But, uh, this is it's, the craziest yeah. part. So he plucks this, what does he do? He plucks a a weed from the ground and eats it as a sign. that, like, see, I'm on board with you. You know, like, I'm just like you guys. And it's turns out to be deadly poison, and he dies. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Just on a fluke. Totally you know, oh, good God. And then his teenage son kind of steps in and replaces him, but it's too late. Uh, the, the Qing are at the gates, like we said. They eventually kick
0: down the doors. Bloodbath ensues. Night-night,
1: kingdom of heaven.
0: And the Taiping Rebellion is put down. Estimates vary widely. Depending on which historical sources you encounter, you will see the estimate of the death toll here ringing in at anywhere between 20 to 70 million people. That makes it one of the deadliest conflicts in human history. And it shaped China and therefore the world in ways that carry over even today in 2019. All because one guy had a vision. Uh, You know, what if he had passed his exams? You always have to wonder. It's kind of like, what if Hitler got accepted into art school? Yeah, I don't know, man.
1: It's true. I mean, it's, I think it's the, it was the repeated rejection that really caused him to break. But you got to wonder, too. Something was off in this guy. So He, he would
0: have done some weird stuff either have, way. Yeah, I think. and you have to wonder about the country as well. If not him, would some other kind of event have occurred? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's true because the history of China is largely a series of peasant uprisings. As is the case for many histories, uh, like the French Revolution, the American Revolution. It's all about rising up against the op- oppressor, perceived or otherwise. Um, and these the dynasty system was so entrenched culturally that it was immovable. And so it makes sense that like w- – but what's so funny, Ben, though, is what ends up happening is you, repl- you, you, you knock down a dynasty and then you replace it with your own dynasty and you become the same thing that you hated and were fighting against in the first place. Absolutely. It happens every time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe one time it'll be different. Probably not. Okay. Probably not. I look forward to it. I'm not holding my breath. So, history tells us that the world is rife, the world is overflowing with um, would be messiahs. We are lousy with people who suspect that they have divine right to one thing or another. And the modern age is no different. It's easy for us to say, wow. That sounds crazy. What the heck was going on in the 1800s? But you have to realize in 2019, there are plenty of groups in the United States, in your home country, in your neck of the global woods. I guarantee you there is someone right now who believes that they are either God or the avatar of God or the uh, younger brother of a divine figure. Yeah. First cousin, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Why not, man? Somebody's got to be um
1: more power to you. just try not to you know foment any bloody uprisings,
0: yeah, do your best, do your best do your do your best. be a good citizen. This was such a crazy story. It's a story that a lot of westerners are not familiar with, I and much. how 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 insane is it that a story involving the death of twenty to seventy million
1: human beings that took place over fifteen years. At the hands of a psychotic Christian death cult leader, not really a death cult, but certainly, I mean, I, I stand by, we stand by the whole cult thing. How crazy is that we don't know about that or they don't teach that in, in history class? I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting.
0: I, uh, it sounds weird because we do host a history show, but uh, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Casey, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot here. I just want to know, had you ever heard of this story?
3: No, this is like all completely new to
1: me and my mind is thoroughly blown. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Bonkers. and how has there not been a film of this
1: as well seems very good film fodder when you yeah when you first mentioned it i was thinking of
3: scorsese's silence which is also concerns uh christianity in japan that's right um mm-hmm. and and kind of somebody also having maybe a little bit of a savior complex or something but a different era different country different culture very yep. different but you know kind of brought that to mind
1: yeah very much so um well, I don't know. I think I think, uh, I think uh, this, the story speaks for itself. I think we've said it all. So I think it's time to wrap it up, Ben. What do you say?
0: I know. I never want a cult story to end. But yeah, I guess I, guess I got to...
1: All good cult things must come to an end, Ben.
0: I know. I know. And you know, when you've started as many as I have, it, it eventually you want it to feel fresh. Wait, I thought you said that was in another life. Totally. So thanks to Christopher Haciotis. Thanks to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to research associate and pal Gabe Luzier. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Thanks to you, Noel. Thanks to you, listeners, for giving this episode a spin. If the spirit so moves you, why not drop by your podcast platform of choice and toss us a rating or review? Yeah,
1: we'd really appreciate it. Uh, You can also join us on our Facebook fan page or community page, whatever you want to call it, uh, which is Ridiculous Historians. Um, We are on the usual platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can also follow me, Personally on Instagram at embryonic insider.
0: And you can find me on Instagram as well. I am at Ben Bolin. So let us let us know about the local movements, communes, or dare we say, cults in your neck of the global woods. Do you think these groups are innocuous? Do you think they are malevolent? If so, why or why not? And I'm especially interested to hear stories of local cults that most people outside of the area don't know about. Yeah, like Zendig Farms. Yeah, we hey, about you know about yeah, yeah Zendig Farms? Uh, there are a ton in Florida, just to the south of us. Very strange ones too. Uh, but yeah, let us know. We'll see you
1: next time, folks.